And this is the exact position that God needed them in. Because a position of compliance and the feeling of inadequacy is exactly where Peter needed to be. You know, a bad day can be the start of a good day. Here in Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, it starts out by saying, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Gennesaret. In verse 1, we see there's a crowd of people following Jesus. And it's so large, they can't fit into a building. So it seems like they moved out of the building. They're outside. And the people just kept coming and coming. And Jesus kept having to back up and back up. And before you know it, he's on the beach. And when you hit the beach, unless Jesus wants to part the the sea again, like he did for Moses, he's kind of running out of places to go. People wanted to hear Jesus. Man, we don't have churches that pack out quite like that today. Imagine if people just kept coming and coming and coming and we had to move outside. People wanted to hear Jesus and now he's up against the Sea of Gennesaret or also called the Sea of Galilee. He's there now and Jesus must have had a strong voice. So many people, he's preaching, everyone can hear it. Not just that, but he's got the waves of the sea behind him. He had a strong voice, but it he needed to, to adjust where he was. Christ was a very popular preacher. And though he was able at age 12 to dispute with the doctors, yet he chose at age 30 to preach to the capacity of the sinner. See how the people relished good preaching. They yearned for it. They wanted it. We're so blessed today. We want to hear preaching. We could even if you get sick and you miss a service, you can just hear it online. We're so spoiled. And today, back then, you, Jesus was in town. You missed him. You, you missed him. People couldn't have that. Not only that, but Jesus was healing the sick, causing the blind to see. They were pressed upon to hear the word. They could perceive it to be the word of God. This was real, this is real to them. It was different than what they heard in the synagogues, how the Pharisees would speak of themselves. This was different. This was real. This was authentic. And they wanted it. And it was here, in this instance, we find Jesus seeing some old friends of his. He sees Peter, or Simon, as he's called here now, and he sees Andrew. And you know, this wasn't the first time that Jesus had met these guys. In fact, real quickly, if you could turn to John chapter 1. Keep your finger here. We're going to come back. But John chapter 1, this is the first time Jesus actually sees Peter and Andrew. In John chapter 1, in verse 40. In John chapter 1, in verse 40. This is Jesus who had just started his public ministry. He is around, he is witnessing and hearing the preaching of John the Baptist here. In verse 40, the Bible says, One of the two which heard John speak, John, that's talking about John the Baptist, and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So Andrew and Peter, they knew who Jesus was when this story takes place, and they understood him to be the one, the Christ, but they weren't, they weren't walking around and following him, per se. It wasn't something that they knew Jesus, and they were believers in Jesus, but that was about the extent of it at this time. So here we have Peter, Andrew, brothers, they're on one ship, and then next to them was another ship, which the Bible says was, uh, was captained by James and John, who were also brothers, and they were the sons of Zebedee. So you got four guys here, four future disciples of Christ, who aren't quite yet. They're on the boat. Jesus now is preaching, he's preaching, and I want us to look at this passage from the viewpoint of the disciples. And if we can consider, first of all, this morning, the condition of the fishermen. All right? The condition. So go to verse 5 now. So when the story begins in verse 5, the Bible says, And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. So Jesus is preaching right now. His Peter, James, John, Andrew, they're uh, or says Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're over on the side with their boats. And these guys, the Bible says, were cleaning their nets. They were cleaning their nets because they had been out all night fishing. They were tired. All night. Now, some of you know what it means to be up all night. There's all different variations why. Sometimes you choose to do it. Maybe you're you're young and you stayed up. Maybe you weren't supposed to. You're playing games. You're on your phone. I don't know. You're you up all night. You wake and then the next morning comes around and you're exhausted. You're tired. Well, that's your fault. Some people don't have a choice. Some of us work late night graveyard shifts. And I grew up, but before my dad became a pastor, for the first 10 years of my life at least, my dad worked graveyards. He, he worked, he had his own company. He was a newspaper distribution center and he was in control of like four or five different cities around him it was very very stressful taxing job and it wasn't five days a week it was seven days a week and he got one week off a year and that one week was precious sometimes we'd go to Disneyland I grew up in California or we go here or there but when you're off for one week you can't just go to bed at 10 and wake up at 7 not when the other 51 weeks of the year you're going to work at 10 and getting off at 7. So vacations were odd for us growing up. We still couldn't do anything till my dad woke up at 1 or 2 in the afternoon. He had to keep his schedule. Graveyards are no fun. And I know many of you here get shifts that pull you into the night. And some of you worked last night and you're here today. And that shows who you are. And I appreciate you for being here. Because I know sleep is important. And when you're young, you don't think it is, but the older you get, every day you get older, you appreciate one more minute of sleep. Once you start having kids, kids keep you up at night, you start appreciating sleep a little bit more. I know that one a little bit. These guys, these fishermen, they were up all night, but they weren't up all night just laying in bed because they couldn't fall asleep. Sometimes it happens. These guys were working hard, 
all night. On the ocean, pulling the ropes, throwing the nets out, pulling. The, I mean, they were tired. They were exhausted. Sleeping is important. We need to learn to get our sleep. But to make matters worse, verse 5 tells us not only were they exhausted. It says, Master, we have toiled all nights and have taken nothing. Not only did they work all night, they didn't get paid one dime for it. Because they didn't, you don't get paid by the hour as a fisherman. They get paid by bringing in the fish. They worked all night for nothing, essentially. Nothing. It would have been better had they just went to sleep that night. And at least they would have gotten sleep. But they didn't even get that. So they're tired and they're defeated. They're, in a, they're having a, a bad day, to say it easily. They're not feeling well. They wasted all night. They have nothing to show for it. They can't even come home and say, here, honey, here's some fish for us to eat today. They have nothing. College students sometimes know what it's like to stay up all night. Most of the time, it's because we waited to do that project to the very, very, very last second. And then procrastination brain turns on. Poof. And then you get into work mode. All right, clear out of the way, everybody. I got to get this project done. 10,000 words in 10 minutes. Let's do it. In the middle of 10 minutes. But we, they get it done. But we all have these days where we're tired, we're exhausted, and we feel defeated. This is where the disciples are right now. So we have the condition of the fishermen. Now let's go back to verse 2, and let's see here a chance appointment. I put chance in quotations because nothing is chance with God. Look at verse 2. It says, And saw two ships standing by the lake. So this is God. This is Jesus. He's preaching. And he, remember, the crowd is pushing him so much. He's at the edge of the water, and he looks over, and he sees two boats sitting there. He saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. So they, had, they were fishing. They weren't necessarily even there listening to Jesus preaching that night. They perhaps didn't even know he was coming to the Sea of Galilee. They were working. They were cleaning their nets, and Jesus sees these two empty ships. In verse 3, he enters into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So Jesus says, man, I, I got, I'm going to drown here. I need to do something. So he, he goes into the boat and says, hey, Simon, would you mind? just getting in the boat with me and just kind of coming off the beach a bit, just in the water, so that I could preach to the people and I could just stand in one place and preach, kind of like a pulpit, if you will, with a, a moat in between just to, so people could hear. And, of course, they agreed to do that. They knew who Jesus was. We read that in John chapter 1 or John chapter 2. This is what some people might call a chance appointment. Because for those of us that know the rest of this chapter, these disciples' life is about to be changed forever. And it all happened because they were there at that moment. But you realize that they may not have been there at that moment had they not failed the night before. Because think about it, if they went out like they normally did, they went out maybe, you know, uh, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night, and let's say after a couple hours, man, they hit the mother load. The fish came in, the nets were full, and they pulled them into the boat. Well, guess what they would have done? 
They would have went back to the shore. They would have packed the fish up. Uh, not a fisherman. I don't know how this works. I don't know. would have cut them up. But they would have most likely been home already. They would have been home sleeping perhaps. Or at least home somewhere else. They wouldn't have had to toil all night. Because that was emphasized. We were out all night. Which kind of seems like they don't normally do this. But they didn't want to go home empty handed. Yet they still were. Had they not failed the night before, they wouldn't have been before Jesus right here in this moment. This is important to understand. Because the disciples feel like they wasted last night not realizing that God was about to use their failure for something amazing. Sometimes we go through failures of sorts. We have bad days. You have fights with the kids or a spouse. You fail a test. Missed opportunity, maybe we disappointed somebody. Whatever gives us a bad day, our hair won't do what it normally does. We smell, I don't know, whatever gives us a bad day. You know, I have this weird thing. There are some days where I just can't clean my glasses properly. I I don't like fog. I don't like, and right now they're really old and there's scratch marks on it, so I've learned to ignore that. But there are some days I just can't, sometimes the smallest things can ruin our day. Failures tend to get our attention. When you fail, if you, if you don't like failing, and you fail something, it oftentimes makes you look back and go, what did I do wrong? Why am I failing? How could I stop this from happening next time? Failures get our attention. They cause us to reevaluate ourself and sometimes our spiritual maturity. God often uses the failures we experience to humble us, to remind us of our limitations, and to make us more willing to depend on God, to submit to his commands and remain open to his leading in our life. You know what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says? Funny, I'm quoting Peter. Peter had no idea what he was about to become. But Peter, later on in his life, says this, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Peter realizes later on in his life that God uses these failures, these sometimes even sufferings in our life, to bring about God's honor and God's glory. How can God use our many failures and turn them into success? Think about all the inventors in our world who, I mean, some of the technology we have is incredible, but you know that they failed many, many times to get that right. One day, some guy didn't just put a few things together and go, oh, I have a computer, great. No, it was trial, it was error, it was how does this work, it was that. It was years and years of studies and failing to get to that point. You've heard the stories of Edison and the light bulb, and you know how... How hard, how failure creates success. It doesn't change with God. If we see failure as not being final, we'll persevere and keep moving forward. If we can see that our failures can be launching pads for future success, imagine how much more we can do for God. But oftentimes when we hit a wall, when we we feel like, oh, we failed, we messed up, we can't keep going anymore, we quit and we move on to something else. Sometimes we quit on God, we quit on whatever takes place, not realizing that maybe God wanted us in this situation 
for his honor and his glory. He wanted us to remember, oh yeah, I need to look up to God at this time. You know what? The opposite is true. Sometimes our success can lead to a person's downfall. Sometimes you get really successful. You get famous. You get wealthy. You've made it. You've arrived. And those sometimes people become arrogant. They become prideful. This happens in sports a lot too. These young guys, they come up and they're, oh, you like them, you appreciate them, but then they get paid. They get their first big payday. And then they change. Their attitude changes. They're arrogant now. They feel like they're entitled. And no, 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 no. Keep, you can have the money, but go back to the guy you were before you got the money. Don't let that success change you, but we know that happens in our life and our world a lot. God can't use a prideful person because prideful people don't need help. But in our failures, we are forced to look at ourselves and try to fix and correct that which made us fail. That's the best time to turn to God when we need correcting. So we see this chance appointment by God, but it's not chance, of course. God had it all figured out and planned out. So now look at verse 4. Verse 4, now we see a concerning request. A very concerning request here. The disciples are, they don't know what to take of this. Okay, so disciples are tired, they're weary. Now they're back in the boat, sitting besides Jesus as he's preaching. So verse 4. Now when he had left speaking, okay, so Jesus, when he had finished preaching, he looks over and says unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. For a drought. He looks at Simon and says, hey, let's go fishing. <laughs> uh, now, they haven't talked yet. At this first five hasn't happened yet. Verse five is when he tells Jesus they've been out all night. So Simon here, he's thinking to himself, "What? <laughs> you want me to do what? Do you not know Jesus? What we've been doing all night? You want me and my brother? Do you not realize that we've been out all night trying to do this?" He's about to say that to Jesus, but I imagine this is going through his head right before he says it. These fishermen were probably thinking, like, ah, I don't want to do this. What? But what disciples didn't realize is Jesus knew exactly what happened to them the night before. He knew everything. He knew they'd failed. He knew they were tired and they were weary. And yet Jesus still tells them to launch out. Let's try again. Let's see what's going to happen now. Sometimes we say things like, God, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. This happened at work. This is happening with my family. My health is this. Lord, I'm tired. I watch the news. It's just depressing. Lord, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. How do I keep going? Lord, I used to, maybe I used to come Saturdays and used to pass out invitations and flyers, but I can't do it anymore, Lord. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I used to come to church more often, but Lord, I just can't. I'm too tired. I'm too exhausted. Lord, Wednesday nights, that's just crazy. Who goes to church in the middle of the week? Uh, Lord, we have faith promise, but God, I'm just, I'm going through a lot right now. I don't think I could do faith promise this year or, or not anything like I was. I'm going to have to cut back a lot. And sometimes we feel like God is asking us to do things at the wrong time in our life. Lord, don't you understand what I'm going through right now? Yes, he does. 
God created you. He knows exactly what you're going through. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't ask you to do something that you can't do. He doesn't mess up like that. He knows what you're going through. And sometimes, sometimes, when we're going through it, the best thing to do is just to keep going. It's to actually sometimes even try again. And to even sometimes go harder. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't rest. Rest is vital. Rest is important. Your body can't live without rest. Sometimes you do need to just take a break, but not from God. Not from God. And the difference here is, this isn't, Peter isn't sitting in the boat and his brother Andrew says, hey, let's try again. Peter would say, you could try again. I'm going home. <laughs> Knock yourself out. I'm swimming to shore. I got my wife and kids to go to. But this is different because who is asking Peter to try again? It's Jesus. Peter now, not really knowing what was about to happen, gives, as we see here in verse 5, he gives a candid reply to Jesus. And we know what the reply was because we already read it. He looks at Jesus and he says, Master, we've toiled all night and we've taken nothing. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, but Look what he says in the end of verse 5. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Interesting. Peter realizes he's tired, he's exhausted, but he says, you know what, Lord? I'll do it. I'll do it for you. Something people might miss, though. Look in verse 4 again. <laughs> Jesus Say, uh, says here, uh, Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your, what's that word? Yes. What? Nets, right? Plural. And then what does Simon say in verse 5? I will let down the, what does it say verse 5? What's that last word? Net. What's the difference? This is plural. Jesus is saying, I want you to go all out, bring all your nets back out, and let's, let's go fishing again. Throw them all out. And Peter sort of compromises. He says, uh, okay, but just one net. Just one net. And that's what he does. He throws out one net. Now, we'll get to that in a second. But I would like to say that Peter was very candid with the Lord. And you know, it's healthy. It's good to be candid with God. God knows what you're thinking anyway. Just tell him how you feel. Lord, I'm going through this. I don't understand why this is happening. It's okay to even sort of vent before God. As long as you're doing it in a way of honor and respect, it's okay to say, Lord, why sometimes? Because we don't understand why. I don't understand why things happen. It's okay to go to God and say, Lord, I don't understand why, but I'm still going to keep serving you. I'm still going to keep going. And I don't understand why now. I'd sure appreciate it if you could tell me why later on. So I, I, so I don't feel like I went through all this for no reason. But Lord, if you could, until then, God, I, I just want you to know I'm tired, I'm exhausted, but I, I'm still going to throw out my net. I'm still going to keep serving you. And this is important because even when we feel tired and defeated, we still need to launch out for God. It's not the time to quit. The devil wants you to feel so tired and exhausted that you say, God, I'm going to take a rest from you for a while. And I promise you, you take a rest from God for a day, it's going to turn into two days. 
and three days and four days, you start taking a rest on God and time away from Him, it's going to, all of a sudden, you're going to look years down the road and you're going to wonder what happened. We can't stop with God. Peter's in the boat with Jesus and Peter realizes, I need to keep going. I know I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Maybe Peter even thought, you know what, I'll I'll obey you, Lord, but nothing's going to happen because I... I did everything I could, and I'm a professional fisherman. So, Lord, I'll throw out one net for you just to, just to show you that I'm right. But you know what the difference was? The difference from, between, from last night to this morning is that Jesus is in the boat now. Because last night, Peter was in the boat, but that wasn't good enough. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it was good enough for Peter. I mean, he's a fisherman. If he hadn't caught anything, he wouldn't be a fisherman. But it wasn't, it's not always good enough. And it definitely wasn't good enough last night. But Jesus is in the boat now, so something changes. We come here to verse 6, and we see that their compliance is rewarded. Look in verse 6. It says, And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. Their net break. Too bad they didn't have nets out there. They may have caught a lot more. And maybe their boat wouldn't have sank or was about to sink. I mean, look what happens in verse 7. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. It didn't matter at this point. And they put out all their nets. Their buddies are like, hey, come over here. We're dying over here. We're sinking. Help us. And they threw out their nets, and then it didn't matter. There was so much fish, both ships were sinking. Or they were beginning to sink. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. Peter, though he was still obeying God, didn't obey him 100%. You know, it was close. He was tired after all. He was exhausted. But he still launched out. Even though he, was t- he didn't give his all per se, he was, still, he was still trying. He was crawling. He f- managed to throw out one net. And after it was all said and done, he looked at God and said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't trust you fully. But I'm sure in his heart he was grateful he at least launched out. I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter was humbled. Even more than he already, I mean, did he need to be humbled even more? I mean, he fished all night. He's a professional. He failed. He came up and now he's got to go home and tell his wife and kids, sorry kids, dad failed again today. I'm just a failure. You know, he's probably thinking that on the way home. I'm a failure. I can't do anything right. Bad day. And then on top of that, Jesus tells him to keep going. And he does it haphazardly and then God rewards him abundantly. And he gets even more humbled. But you know what? Like I said earlier, God can't use somebody who's prideful. God has to sometimes bring us down in order for us to look back up. Because when we're prideful, we, always, we just look up all the time. But when we're humble, or I should say, when we're prideful, we look down all the time at everyone else because, we're so, because we think we've got it all together. But when we're humble, we're low. The only place to look is up. 
their compliance was rewarded. And this is the exact position that God needed them in. Because a position of compliance and the feeling of inadequacy is exactly where Peter needed to be. And then it ends in chapter 10, verse 10 with a changed life. Look what happens, verse 10. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Say, what does that mean? From here on out, Peter, no more will you catch fish. Now, now well, we see later on in the scriptures, Peter still from time to time would go fishing. But now your full-time calling, Peter, is not just catching fish, but it's helping me rescue men who are perishing, bringing them to me, bringing them to the Savior. And verse 11, And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. The song that the quartet just sang fits perfectly. They forsook all and followed him. You see, up to this point, Peter and Andrew... They, they knew Jesus. In John chapter 2, we saw that. They were acquainted. They knew even he was the one. But it took some things in their life for them to really look to God and say, you're the one and you are who I want to serve with all my life. And it was at this point they became full-time disciples for Christ. What a story. What an event. Last night's failure became today's success. They forsook it all. You've heard this quote, I'm sure, many times. It's a very famous quote by Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, you know, one of the most accomplished basketball players in the world, he says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that's why. I succeed. Failure isn't the end. Sometimes it's just the beginning. A bad day could be the start of a good day if we keep looking up and relying on Jesus. God can literally use anything for his honor and his glory. And maybe you're here today and you, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I don't even know for sure what would happen to me after I died? Maybe, I mean, when you die, and death is not a pleasant, fun topic, no one likes to talk about this, but the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. No matter how you want to get away from it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. You know, the statistic, they say one out of every one person will eventually die. And because of this, no matter how young or how old we are, what will happen to you when that day comes? Whether it's an accident or maybe it, you, you get to live a long, full life, we don't know when that time will come. And I hope today that you could turn this day into the greatest day of your life where you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't put your faith and trust in your good works because your good works aren't good enough. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can be a good person your whole life and do so many good things and get to heaven and your good works will far outweigh your bad works. But God's going to look at you and say, 
that's not it. Have you accepted me as your Lord and Savior? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone? Not yourself, not any other gods or anything else you might have on the shelves at your home, but God and God alone. He is the one that can save you. And this is the reason this church exists. This is the reason missionaries go all around the world. They sell their homes. They sell everything and they go to different countries to places where there is no preaching, gospel preaching church. And they try to tell people about Jesus. This is why we exist. Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you're here today, you know Christ as your Savior, but maybe you feel like a failure. Or maybe you've had failure days in your life. Let's turn that around and let's give it back to God. If you could stand with me now as we close in prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.